0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode eight of the Print Design Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to share this one with you because I've always had this like passion and love for brand books, books that are beautifully designed and tell a brand story They become just these like collector's items that I love to hoard. So I'm super excited to dive into this episode where me and this guest dive deep and completely dissect a Budweiser brand book that he was a part of. But before I introduce today's guest, I first wanted to say that I'm running that contest still to win a full set of Mohawk Maker quarterlies. That's issue one to 16. Like the first five issues are complete collector's items. They're so hard to find now. And I've got a full set that I'm going to randomly give away to somebody. Here's what you got to do to enter. First one is follow us on Instagram, print design underscore academy. The second is leave a rating and a review for the print design podcast on Apple podcasts or Spotify. You've got another like three weeks or so to do that. So today's guest is Nick Pilon. He's an Associate Creative Director at Mosaic out of Toronto, Ontario. T.O. That's in Canada for, uh, for you folks that just aren't sure. Canada, eh? During this episode, we talk about an amazing magazine rebrand that happened just recently. It was the Easy Riders magazine, where it used to be like Half Naked Girls and Harley Davidsons, and it completely changed and rebranded, still as Easy Riders, but a brand new look, and it became more of the sort of GQ for motorcycles, I guess is the best way to describe it. Go over to our Instagram, we've got pictures of it up there so you can have a look, a beautiful rebrand, and then we do a deep dive into this Budweiser brand book, and first let me say it was done on an incredible timeline, like incredibly tight timeline for a book of this size and this magnitude, and Nick tells us all about that, as well as the budget, color decisions, and all that kind of stuff. So I really wanna get to it, and I'm sure you do too, so I'm gonna stop talking, and hit the music.
1: Welcome to the print design podcast the show where we talk about all things print and packaging we go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rock their world from file prep to holding the finished product in their hand and all the key decisions in between so let's talk ink on paper
0: Nick, welcome to the Print Design Podcast. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you.
0: Thanks for having me. Oh, man. I'm stoked to have you. We're both, uh, you know, this is like the lockdown podcast. It always starts like with some (laughs) sort of lockdown conversation or quarantine conversation. Yeah. (laughs) Just the way it is right now. Just the way it is right now. Sign of the times. Um, So let's get started with like an introduction, like introduce yourself to this audience. Who are you? What do you got cooking?
1: Sure. Um, Well, I'm Nick. Um, I kind of grew up in the suburbs of Toronto, grew up in Mississauga. And, uh, yeah, I was kind of a bit of a weirdo as a kid. Yes. Uh, I got, yeah, I was a bit of a nerd. I was always just like super curious, always like taking stuff apart, putting stuff back together. And, um, then all got involved in, um, in punk rock at a young age and started playing in a band, which eventually ended up sort of like leading towards my design career.
0: Okay. So, um, so in a, in it's a so cool that you say that because d- it's music and skate culture. Those are the two things that I see I want to say 90% of the time that plug people into design and creative.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think like there's so many weird little misfits that are like these creative people that kind of get involved in these subcultures that just allow you to kind of just like open up yeah, um, and kind of be validated in your kind of creative endeavors yeah. um, in, in a weird kind of like subculture. Um, and then I think design is like a perfect sort of Avenue to kind of like focus that creativity in a way that allows you to make a living for yourself, you know?
0: that's true. You know, it starts out with, you know, designing a t-shirt for a friend's band or a sticker or something like that's ex- that.
1: That's exactly and it. And
0: you go, wait a sec, I could yeah. maybe make some money on this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's exactly how I got my start. I, I, um, I was playing in a band and, you know, like we we're a bunch of broke teenagers and so like we couldn't hire anybody <laughs> to do like cool stuff for us. So it was just like, okay, let's give this a shot. Yeah. And so we started just doing, doing it for ourselves. And, I just kind of took the reins there and started doing it for our band, and mm-hmm. other bands asked me to do it for them, and then other bands asked, asked me to do it for them, and then um, I was doing some work for some local labels, and then I graduated high school without taking any art, without taking any music in high school, um, and then I was like, okay, now, now what do I do with my life? I spent the last, <laughs> you know, like four years playing in a band, you know, that goes nowhere because we're just a bunch of teenagers. yeah. yeah yeah and so like what do I do and so I was like you know what I'm already doing a bunch of graphic design stuff and I enjoy it so maybe I'll I'll do that and so I actually went after I graduated high school I went back and did a victory lap for a semester and took uh grade 10 grade 11 art to get my prerequisites to get into uh design school nice and, yeah and so I, I I spent a semester doing that and then a semester working um and then I went to uh George Brown College in Toronto mm-hmm. um uh at their school of design and then from there I graduated and then I was just working for myself a little bit again, just doing a bunch of stuff for bands and like local labels. And then I worked for, um, a few sort of just like local design shops, mm-hmm. um, in Mississauga and then, uh, landed the job at Mosaic and I've been there for the last eight years. And I started at Mosaic as an intermediate designer and now I'm, uh, now I'm ACD there, which has been a really fun journey and growth professionally, but also, um, in kind of growing our team and growing the agency and it's, mm-hmm. Um and his capabilities and um yeah, it's be, it's been a pretty wild ride.
0: <laughs> That's great. And yeah. the thing about doing that band design stuff is it's usually merch and printed stuff. It's stickers, it's yeah. t-shirts, it's things that get printed that you really don't even make the connection on what you're doing. For sure. Until you know, later on in life down the road. Yeah. So I want to then ask you, Nick, what What's your earliest memory of print or packaging? Something from your childhood, maybe. Maybe it is something yeah. from your teens.
1: Yeah, I think uh, definitely it would have, because I was such so heavily involved in music, it was definitely records, like mm-hmm. record covers and, and band merch. But one of the most iconic ones for me would be, um, there's this band called Minor Threat, and they're from Washington, D.C., and they're a hardcore band from... From Washington DC and they um they had a record that was called out of step and they were they were a band in the 80s Like when I started listening to them they had a like they didn't exist anymore or anything like that <laughs> but um on on the record cover is This kind of like nice like watercolor Painting of a flock of white sheep going in one direction and then there's a little black sheep drawn with a with a crayon jumping in the other direction and it just says out of step on the on the record <laughs> cover and that had as like a young misfit kid that had like such a profound impact on me and yeah. like and i think just the with with records you know like i just have these these memories of just like sitting in my room getting a new album whether it's a cd or whatever And just like sitting and like flipping through the liner notes and flipping through the lyric booklets and just like listening to albums from like top to bottom. And uh, I would say that's definitely my first interaction with like printed pieces. And then that being sort of like this whole like supporting thing to enjoying, you know, an album.
0: Yeah. I love that album covers and like the, the little jewel case booklet or whatever that yeah. came with it. And the rock bands, the punk bands, the hardcore, like the metal stuff, they yeah. didn't even care what was on it. And right?
1: and that's exactly it. And like, that's what I still love about that stuff is that, yeah. um, you know, now as a professional designer um, looking back at a lot of that stuff and it, it was so haphazard, you know, like you could tell where they like, <laughs> yes. like especially on a lot of the punk records, you could tell where they like cut out, you know, things and like stuck them on, and then you know, you could see the edges or the shadows, and like they would blow the contrast out, so it was almost like just straight black and white. And yeah. it was just, I, I, I just love, like, even to this day now, uh, love just how unruly and how like almost like unconsidered the design work was on on those records, you know? So was, true, yeah,
0: that didn't care, <laughs> it was yeah. awesome. That's yeah. the whole attitude of the music culture in that space, though, right. yeah for
1: sure it's just like we're us and we don't care what anybody thinks and it's just i it's still it's still awesome to me (laughs) that's so
0: good so so that's something from back in the day Now, what about recently have you had any recent interactions with print or packaging that you really enjoyed or surprised you
1: yeah yeah definitely um i i'd say the biggest thing is um so i'm a big motorcycle guy i ride a motorcycle and um there's this magazine that's like an, an iconic motorcycle magazine. Okay. Started started in nineteen seventies in nineteen seventy. And it's like it's Easy Riders magazine and okay. it's like super iconic magazine. Whenever you'd go, like back in the day, you'd walk into like, you know, your neighbor who is like the biggest Harley dad. You'd walk into his garage and there'd be like all the covers just like pasted up on the on the uh on a, in his garage in his shop. Yeah. And um back then the magazine was um you know typical motorcycle with like bikini babe on the motorcycle (laughs) that's what the cover was yeah and and recently um they completely rebranded for a modern audience and it was it was just like your typical like wide distribution magazine back then Mm -hmm. now it's they they just like they shut it down and completely rebranded for a modern audience and it's almost like uh if they made a gq for like gnarly motorcycle dudes um really yeah yeah i actually have i have it here so like oh wow it's like yeah. a
0: complete departure
1: complete departure and it's like it's oversized it's all printed on super matte um heavyweight stock yep. and it's um pretty amazing from a design perspective like it's super modern and super progressive and um but they still managed to kind of keep the authenticity and the romance of riding a bike and building crazy motorcycles Man, well done uh, yeah and it's and like i was looking at i was looking at the credits in the magazine and it's and what's pretty incredible is that like back then it was pretty it was a pretty you know like male driven magazine and most of most of the credits on here are women and it's pretty amazing because like they've really revamped not just from an aesthetic perspective but from a content perspective and um they highlight like women builders and women uh within the culture artisans like everything and it's actually quite an amazing turnaround and really reflects um what motorcycle culture is in an urban environment today See, which is that pretty that awesome.
0: is an incredible example of you know refreshing and i guess almost rebranding you could say yeah um, you know for the times and for the more just more accurate audience and more more representation essentially
1: definitely definitely well,
0: well done man i'm glad you shared that i had no idea that they i, I when you said easy riders i pictured it magazine like bikini clad girl bike totally I had no idea they had rebranded like that. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: You should check out like on Google, just Google, uh, Google image search, uh, easy riders magazine, take a look and then go to easyriders.com and go check out what they've done now. It's like, it doesn't even look like it's the same magazine. It's pretty wild.
0: Complete difference. That's awesome. Yeah. So what do you think makes print and packaging so special to designers? Because even if a designer isn't creating printer packaging, they all have their little stash yeah a little packaging and print stash yeah
1: i think living in such a digital age where like all the media that we consume is through our screens whether it's our computer or our phones everything um i think to have something tactile in your hands is worth a lot now and Mm -hmm. like i think when you're holding something there's there's more to be considered and there's more to experience than when you're just Look at watching a video on a screen, um, or seeing design, you know on a website or whatever. Um when you're holding something in your hands, you know you can you feel the material, you feel the contrast and finishes. Um, you know, and even when we were kids, I know when I was a kid, I always used to rip rip pages out of like alternative press magazine and you know, put them in a frame on my wall. I think print lives beyond its its original format, you know, like with with digital stuff. It's almost a little bit more passive, but like w- the way that we enjoy a printed piece is different than the way we enjoy a digital piece. And it, and it's something that has, I think, a little bit more longevity. And it's something that we can put up in our space and enjoy. It's something that we can feel, you know, when yep. we when we put a record on, um, we can pull out the booklet and go through it, um, everything, you know, like even a coffee table book when you're I think one of the, like the biggest like points of success for a coffee table book is when you're flipping through it, you know, you're not necessarily even reading the content, but just being just, you're just in awe at the beautiful layouts, the beautiful pictures, everything. Mm -hmm. And so it just becomes a little bit more of like an immersive, involved experience than just sitting and like viewing something on our screen.
0: So it's almost like then, you know, something on the screen. Yes. It's, it's, it's design. It's creative. It's design something in print. It's design. But, Mm -hmm it takes a huge step closer to art.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that's
0: where you earn that longevity Mm -hmm. from it, or you get a lot closer because art is around for hundreds of years. Yeah. So longer than that, even. Yeah. I love it. So, Nick, where do you get your inspiration? So say you're working on a print project, a packaging project. Mm -hmm. Do you have a stash of yourself? Do you just go for a walk in nature and get all of these brilliant ideas of yours coming to you? Like where do you go for inspiration, planning, sketching, that sort of thing?
1: yeah I think there's there's a couple different things I think a the the normal channels that we all go through as designers, like you know the the blogs like design inspiration or like behance or dribble or you know all those places I think just to get that kind of like direct design kind of like inspiration mm-hmm. um but then I think there's a whole bunch of other stuff too is like i think I think being honest with ourselves about what kind of fills us up creatively uh is is always like a good path to follow. Because I think, you know, we can we can always get kind of like pigeonholed within those defined areas of design. But I think there's so many different ways to experience creativity. And so, like for me, like I said, like motorcycle culture is such a big thing. And so, and within motorcycle culture, there's like customization of bikes and the artwork on tanks and like stuff like that is like really cool. And obviously that's very niche. But I think the way that we fill up our tanks is, you know, I think – just being honest with ourselves about what inspires us creatively and kind of like trusting our intuition a little bit when applying that to a brief. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, when we're, when we're working on client work, you know, like we can't always, you know, go way out into left field, you know, (laughs) like designing something for, for Budweiser, like this brand book or designing something for Tesla. Like those are very two different streams, you know, in the way that you approach it. Um, But I think there are ways that, there are always ways that I think that you can kind of like push with still keeping this, the, the core authenticity and spirit of whatever brand you're working on.
0: Yeah. Are you doing design for Tesla?
1: We're not. No. Oh, no. Okay. I was going to say,
0: <laughs> if you are, put in a word. I have a Model X, but if they printed a brochure for it, I want it. Yeah. <laughs> I want it. I already bought it, but I'm more I want it. Okay. Definitely That's be an it. amazing brand to work on. That, sure. <laughs> it definitely would. Yeah. Um all right. I want to take you a little bit back in time here, Nick. And I want mm-hmm. to hear about the very first print project you were ever a part of.
1: Yeah, okay. Um so this is kind of before my professional career. This was <laughs> when I was in high school and we were working on the band stuff. Yeah. And okay. uh and this was before I started you know like working with like Photoshop or anything sort of like digital in that realm yeah. um, I remember when we were doing our first demo I, I, I tried to find I tried to find it I can't find it I dug through some boxes but I tried to find it um, but and it's so bad but I remember drawing out our like band logo and a bunch of like artwork and then i cut that out and i put it on like an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and i folded it up and figured out where everything would be for when we like slip it in the in the uh in the jewel case Mm -hmm. and um and so like i went into like microsoft word and like typed up all like of our lyrics and like printed them out cut them out and laid them out on this piece of paper and then i went and uh I went to like the local print shop and just used their like self serve color copier, yes. and I just and I just started like copying things and just kept on turning up the contrast and turning up the contrast to get it as like punk as I could <laughs> <laughs> as a kid. And then I remember taking that and I and I um I poured like ink and I poured like coffee all over it and got it all like distressed and then uh, yes. so bad. So bad. And then I and then I went back and I and I just made a whole bunch of color copies and then folded them all up, put them in our jewel cases, and that's what we sold at our shows.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I really hope you can find one or find I know, a I picture wrote, or something. <laughs> yeah, that'd be so cool. You gotta share that with me. <laughs> yes. I love the distressed oh, yeah. look. Do you remember oh, yeah. I, I don't know if you did this, but I used to take like what this happened mostly when I was in like writing reports or something for history for school. I would do it and then I would actually like burn the edges of the paper to make it look
1: old. Oh, yeah. That's like, yeah, like the first thing you do when you start doing that stuff.
0: (laughs) That's a classic. (laughs) Look at how old this looks. Yeah. Yeah, Does
1: just make it look old? (laughs) That's awesome. Like a treasure map. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Um, All right, Nick, I want to hear about a print project that you've been a part of now that did not turn out as you had hoped, something mm-hmm. that went off the rails, went sideways, just didn't go well. Um, yeah. Do you got one of those? Can you share one of those with us?
1: Yeah. Um, this is a, a really small, sort of insignificant one, but um, the consequences were pretty uh, were pretty big. <laughs> this was early on in my career. I was working for like a small local shop yeah. uh, in the suburbs, and um, we were making these like mass mailer flyers for uh, a local gym and (laughs) and uh there was two locations one had a 905 area code one had a 416 area code and we made these two um they're like postcard size and we're printing we're printing a quarter million of these things Two hundred fifty (sighs) thousand of these things and each and um and uh and so i ended up putting the wrong area code on the wrong numbers on each of the postcards and and it went through you know it went through my art director it went through the client it went through everybody but nobody picked it up until after everything was printed oh no yeah and that was like an absolute disaster I almost got fired for that one but we (laughs) and I was like how old was I at that time It must have been like 20 years old 20 or 21 years old yeah and and um yeah and but like it, you know, it went through. It went through all the proper channels, but nobody caught it. And so, you know, it was what it was. And we just made the fix and reprinted everything. And so it was just a straight <laughs> reprint. Straight reprint.
0: Yeah. Oh, jeez. What did yeah. that? What did that
1: cost? You know the numbers? Oh man, I don't even know. All I know is that it made uh, made my boss really mad. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> did the design the studio cover the cost of it, or did they split it with the client, or
1: they They split it with the client. Yeah. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. Because it went through, it went through both channels, and nobody, nobody caught it. You know, it got yeah. approved on on every level, and so, you know, these things happen, I guess. But uh, try to make them happen as little as possible. That's for sure. Yeah,
0: I've been in that seat where you have to make the call to the client. Yeah, and 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 at the point where everybody knows already, but phoning them saying, "Hey, you got to cover half of this, and here's why." Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's and a like- tough conversation.
1: For sure. And especially, you know, when you're when that happens, when you're working for a small business, Mm -hmm. you know, like the the consequences are a little bit more intense than they are for, you know, like working for like a big agency that can, you know, afford to have something like that happen Mm -hmm. more so than, you know, a small business.
0: Definitely. No, I totally understand what you mean. The The impact to a smaller business is far greater than yeah. spread out over, you know, a larger company with 100 plus employees and multi-million dollar revenue, that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, and that was
1: such a small, insignificant project, but <laughs> I just remember the dread when... Yeah. Uh... <laughs> What I found out. <laughs>
0: oh, jeez! Did that yeah. give you like? So from that point, like for a few projects after that, did you have, were you like really gun shy on pulling the trigger on?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Like you know, <laughs> you know, like they say, the devil's in the details, right? And so yeah. that, that's something you kind of learn as you continue on in your career in, in kind of every way. But mm-hmm. those little details, you know, those are the things that'll kind of bite you if you don't pay attention. Awesome. So,
0: Nick, now's the point of the show where I want to do a deep dive into a project that you've been a part of um, that went to print. I want to hear, you know, about the boardroom idea of Mm -hmm. creating this project, how paper was picked, how colors were picked, how, um, you know, if you were involved in the quoting process, you know, what it actually cost in the end, how many were produced, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, So what's the project? What do you got?
1: So it's the Budweiser brand book. Um, And this brand book is kind of like. A bit of like a you know inaccurate way to describe it because it's more of a coffee table book. Yeah. It's not your traditional brand book in the sense that it's all about like rules on how to you know use the brand. It's it's actually um, written as a narrative mm-hmm. um, from start to finish about the history of Budweiser. Um, it's from its origins to its supply chain to the entire like sort of culture that the brand has developed around itself, surviving mm-hmm. prohibition. And where it's going in the future, and um, and so it's this, it's almost like a, it's like the Budweiser Bible basically, and mm. um, it was a really exciting project to work on because, um, we, we we worked directly with Bud the Budweiser historians in the U.S., so they have like in-house historians. That's sort of like that's
0: crazy.
1: It's it's pretty wild, yeah. And this was like definitely a um, an education in learning how uh how much of a part of american culture budweiser is as mm-hmm. a brand and why they've sort of remained as one of those iconic brands um and one of the big things is that you know they were they were successful pretty quickly off the bat when they started in america and then um one of their big differenti- differentiators though is that they they survived prohibition prohibition annihilated everybody that was making any sort of alcoholic beverage, but they adapted during that time and ended up surviving prohibition and going back to beer afterwards. Um, And so as we were developing this book, it was really interesting to kind of like read all that history and sort of create something that um, kind of lived up to all that history. And so we, we really wanted to make this a Budweiser artifact. So like something that, you know, they could put in their you know, give to their historians and it would remain sort of in the vault for mm-hmm. forever. You know? like when, when they look back at it 10 years from now, they're like, oh wow, this is still like the comprehensive guide to Budweiser. And, and so we really wanted to create something that sort of presented the brand in a new way mm-hmm. in a sort of more contemporary way, but also really kept the spirit of the brand. And so Budweiser's big, Budweiser's bold, um, But it's also like the beer for everyone. So it's really inclusive. It's like the beer that you like, you know, like just invite everybody to the table for. And and so we really wanted to communicate that vibe throughout the book, but then also sort of elevate it to the point of, um, you know, sort of higher design, I guess. And and that was a really fun process. Um, And the timeline, we did all this in five weeks. What? From, yeah, from brief to delivery was five weeks. Delivery five or, of files
0: yeah. or delivery of finished books.
1: Finished books. <laughs>
0: what? Yeah, six
1: six six weeks was finished books. Nick, I weeks.
0: can't even comprehend that.
1: Yeah, and so we were right like it was being written and designed almost at the same time, which was wild. It was a lot of late nights, and but we built a really good crew at work that. It was. It's one of those projects that sort of, especially working at a non-traditional agency, mm-hmm. it's one of those like super traditional design-led projects that comes across the table, you know, like only a few times in your career. A hundred percent. And so when this opportunity came up, we were all like, okay, we're all, we're just going to band together and just do whatever it takes to get this thing done. And the reason the timeline was so short was because they wanted to get it done for an internal conference that they were having. And so the date of that conference was, you know, solid. And so we had, we were working against that timeline. And, um, and so we worked with our writers and they, and they worked directly with the Budweiser historians, gathered all the information curated, you know, the big bits, and then kind of developed the narrative that kind of strings the entire story together. And so we, we received a first draft of that. And it was like that thick. The book is like, it's almost 250 pages,
0: Okay, so before I get into, like, the story of this and what it actually cost and how many were produced, and mm-hmm. what proofing was like, before I get into that, what is, like, the specs on this thing? Do you have the, the color specs, yeah. the paper specs, the page count? Yeah.
1: yeah, so the page count is somewhere around 250. I got it right here. Um, yeah, oh, two, yeah. it's, like, 210, 210 pages. Okay. Um, yeah, it's printed on we – we did – it's a hardcover book. Uh, that sort of has like an almost like rubberized hard or a soft touch finish. It's
0: got a soft touch laminate.
1: Yeah. And then there's uh there's embossing on the front. There's uh silver foil. Um yeah, and that's that's the front there. It's it's the uh the crown tab on a Budweiser can. Yeah. Um uh, and then the we printed about uh two hundred and fifty of them. The okay. book cost uh about two hundred dollars per book. <laughs> yeah to print. (laughs)
0: That's awesome. Uh, Yeah.
1: We printed, uh, I can't remember the exact stock that we use, but it's a, it's a heavyweight uncoated stock. We originally, um, we were originally looking at like a Mohawk matte paper, Mm -hmm. um, but weren't really super stoked on, on how it came out, uh, when we got some of the, some of the, uh, some of the samples. And so we went, we switched to a completely uncoated stock and, um, Everything just felt a little bit more premium, mm-hmm. um, and kind of fit the vibe—that kind of like textured, tactile vibe that the brand has um, a was little bit better. Is that
0: still in the Mohawk line?
1: Uh, you know what? I can't remember. I don't think it okay. was. I don't think they had an uncoated. Uh, the printer that we use, I don't think they had an uncoated uncoated stock mm-hmm. for Mohawk. But um, but yeah, that's that's kind of the specs and so
0: that's like full color throughout but i'm assuming that budweiser's got their brand pantone colors and those were like touched throughout
1: yes yeah so though we stuck within the budweiser palette um and budweiser typefaces um but uh sort of the way that we approached all the layouts was like a little bit different they haven't done anything like this before so And they're, they're, they haven't done anything that's like long form copy. The way that we've seen the brand represented before is, you know, in ads with like one big bold headline and like mm-hmm. a bottle shot or, you know, so this was a brand new format for the brand to be expressed through. So um, we were able to kind of push it a little bit for sure.
0: Yeah. That is intense. That's such a nice piece.
1: Thank you. Yeah. It was, it was like, definitely a pleasure to work on.
0: (laughs) I can imagine. Okay. So you're, you're connecting with Budweiser. You guys are making some creative decisions, some paper decisions, some finishing decisions. Yeah. Um, how did you select a vendor? Did you get a bunch of different quotes or do you got a key vendor that you go with or?
1: Yeah, we have a key vendor, um, that kind of brokered, uh, the printing of all this. So, um, uh, yeah, one of the printers that we own—they're called 4XM—that okay. um, Mosaic owns. We went through them, and they—they um, they took care of kind of getting everything everything produced for us. Got it. Yeah,
0: that's wild. Okay, so give me the proofing on this thing because having mm-hmm. it, let alone designed in a span of six weeks, how do you <laughs> proof? Were you like sleeping over at the printers for press checks? Like, they
1: came to the office because we were there. We were there like day and night. Yeah, we we're there day and night and so they they would uh, they would come to the office They'd sit with us while we went through it all and then they would uh, they would go back to the office Like fix whatever needed to be fixed or we'd provide them with new files if we needed to provide them with new files um, but everything was like Because of the tight timeline like the kind of like communication chain Between all the parties involved was like really really tight So we all just just kept on getting into the same sp- into the same space
0: Got it. And did you actually spend some time at press with press sheets coming out the other side?
1: No, no, we didn't, we didn't really have time because, um, by the time all that stuff was getting, it was all getting printed like (laughs) overnight. Like (laughs) I remember we we finished the book. I remember the day the the printer is literally on the way. The the files were so big. It it was faster for him to come and pick up the files on a hard drive than it was to send. And we were like right up against the wire. And, um, and so, they they were driving down to pick up this hard drive and we just got a uh, off a call with one of our creative directors at our um chicago office who kind of uh wanted some adjustments on like the last few pages and uh and we're like oh no he's on his way these are going to take a while because we got like we got to kind of like rethink how we're representing the info on this page and so we were just kind of racing trying to get that done and by the time by the time, uh, we got that done and then like put it through our production team again for them to just make sure it was all dialed in for, for, um, it was literally like saved onto the hard drive right as they were like walking
0: through the door. (laughs) Jeez, That's so wild, man. It was a wild one. Okay. So tell me about the moment when you first unwrapped a finished
1: book. Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. Um, yeah, we had like, we had the entire team, the box gets delivered, we pull it out. And okay, just,
0: just before you get there, that's a terrifying moment. <laughs> yeah. Like it's yeah. The, the excitement level is really high.
1: Yeah.
0: But you are also scared out of your mind.
1: Oh yeah. Cause I don't think we had seen, cause the covers, the cover had so many treatments on it. Yeah. Um, that we never and the timeline was so short that we never really got to see a a sample before we got the books um and and so like because there's embossing there's a varnish there's um there's the foil uh there's all this stuff so we never really got to see a sample and so we were just like fingers crossed that this turned out like we had an idea about how we wanted the embossing to turn out and Mm -hmm. the varnishes and all that stuff but we were just we definitely just had like our fingers crossed and when it came through the door, um and it had all worked out and it kind of looked better than we thought it could look. Yeah. Uh, we were all just like super stoked and super relieved. Yeah, That's
0: awesome. Man, what yeah. a moment. It's so exciting. There's nothing like that in in digital land. There's no experience yeah. like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it was just like it was so cool to like again, like as we've talked about, like the tactile nature of a print it was so cool to get it in the hand and, you know, like feel the cover and like open it up and like feel the liner and just like kind of flip through the pages. Cause you know, you, you know how it is, you know, like when you see something on screen mm-hmm. and then you, you get that printed piece, like there's a whole, there's a whole different vibe about it when you get that printed piece and it's all cut and it's all perfect. And, uh, and it's on the, the st- like the, a really nice stock, mm-hmm. uh, there's just something about it that you you can smell you can still smell the ink you can smell the glue that like binds the book together it's just like a really really cool experience for sure
0: that's awesome what was um what was the client feedback did you see books before the client
1: um we saw them probably around the same time because we got a stack of books but the rest got shipped directly to new york for the client okay yeah.
0: <laughs> and so was there like a phone call, like everybody's waiting for a call from the client or
1: they were over the moon. They were over the moon. Amazing. Yeah. We, yeah. Which was really incredible. And what was really cool about this project too, working with the client was because it was a passion project for the client. Yeah. They just put, they put so much trust in us um, in ways that, you know, I haven't experienced from a client before, mm-hmm. you know um, when we, cause how, how the process started from a creative from, on the creative side was, we put together a bunch of mood boards on how on the editorial style that we wanted to use. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and there's, we we really wanted to take the information that we had, which was a lot and pace it in a way that remained engaging. So not overloading every single page with content. Yep. And there was a lot of content. So you we don't really want it to
0: be an encyclopedia.
1: Exactly. And, yeah. and so we really wanted to make sure that there were pages that were just like pretty to look at and that broke up the narrative. Um, to sort of pace the story a little bit. And, and so we had a few different content types. So we had, you know, spreads that had a ton of copy on them. We had spreads that had, you know, like more like big, bold statement that were more just like really nice kind of feature design spreads. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we had, uh, other spreads that were more, there's a lot of, because it's talking a lot about history, there's a lot of timelines um, and talking about different stages in their history and so mm-hmm. we, we what we did was we put together th- three mood boards that kind of covered those three main types of content that we were going to be using and kind of showed them how we were going to approach from an ed- editorial perspective how we were going to approach those various types of information mm-hmm. and um, and they were really excited and they gave us sort of free reign they're like they kept on saying we trust you we trust you we trust you um, and they were just really happy with what they saw over and over and over. again. Yeah. <laughs> we trust yeah.
0: you. We trust you. Could you send that an email, please? <laughs> yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> and like, like how often do you get that? Especially, you know, when you're working with big established brands, like how yeah. often do you get that, um, that level of, uh, collaboration and trust in the relationship, you know, it's, yeah. it was, it was a really special project from top to bottom, from the interaction with the client to, Um, the whole creative process working through it to getting it in the hand. It was, it was really cool.
0: You know what? It reminds me of the way you were describing it with the sort of timelines, but also big bold, like marketing and advertising and Mm -hmm. um, historical photography and bottles and like different things like that. It reminds me a lot of the Guinness factory in Dublin. I was there basically this time last year with my family. And when you go through there, like the actual Guinness factory, it's, it's basically, it's kind of like a museum. There's a bunch of experience stuff, but it's like a museum where you are introduced to the brand. You're introduced to a timeline, uh, like a mm-hmm. historical timeline of the brand. Mm-hmm. And from each of those eras, there's commercials, there's prominent ad campaigns. There's all of these things for Guinness throughout that timeline. So it reminds yep. me a lot of that, the way you're describing it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool. It's like to, it, to, um, kind of take all of the little pieces of history and kind of organize it in a way that was, I don't know, exciting to look at. Like when, so the first, the first section of the book kind of deals with the, uh, the sort of inception of Anheuser-Busch as a brewing company. And then there's like a big break in this sort of like historical timeline and that's prohibition. And we really wanted to emphasize that. And so, we moved from, you know, like white backgrounds and, um, you know, Budweiser red backgrounds and headlines and stuff like that to it's kind of when Budweiser went dark kind of thing. And so we during during that section, when we're talking about Prohibition, everything is on sort of a darker black background. We kind of eliminate most of the red. Yeah. And so it's not just from an information perspective, but from a visual perspective, we were trying to tell the story. That's uh, cool. And then and then once we what ends that section is the newspaper that talks about repeal day prohibition pro uh prohibition is done and then from there we get back into like the brightly colored you know big bold budweiser red yeah yeah and so like as we were kind of rolling through the book um it was really cool to kind of figure out how we wanted to represent certain parts of the story
0: that's so cool what a beautiful project i'm a huge fan of brand books and there's this one instagram account that i follow uh, counterprint books they're out of the uk but they always mm. post these pictures of beautiful brand books and yeah i just like if i if i was allowed i would buy all of them
1: i know Be- i know I because love because it's too. just an
0: incredible piece to have yeah
1: like one of my favorites is the nasa one that's and literally it's so- that's
0: the one i was thinking of but i'm telling you that
1: yeah and i love how uh Sort of like clinical, the entire thing is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just something so appealing about how, the way that everything is. All the content is just sort of organized in like such a simple, almost like encyclopedic kind of way. Do you have it? I don't have it. I'm okay, it. yeah, it's yeah. one
0: one to buy, but it's even yeah. right from the beginning. The experience of it when you receive it, it's wrapped in anti-static film. It looks yeah. it looks like a spaceship when you get it. Like it just gives you that feeling, that vibe.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And that's like again, right? Like that totally adds like that's a that's like a a conceptually driven execution, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yep. So like it that just totally adds to uh the the entire experience. Like it didn't have to come in a anti-static bag. No. But but it did, you know, yeah, and it and could that have just totally, plastic shrink-wrapped it. But yeah, and doesn't it, and have it just the same impact. Yeah, and it just reinforces the
0: concept, which is really cool. So true. I love it. Yep, yeah, I'm a big uh, brand book collector, so add that one to the collection, yeah, awesome, so six weeks I'm blown away by that timeline um I'm just gonna sit in shock <laughs> with that for a little while
1: <laughs> yeah that that was insane, like it was insane. it was definitely like really stressful during it yeah uh, but uh but at the end of it when we when we all got in our hands, we're like, wow, are we ever glad that we put in the time you know and, and I wish we had more time because I think you know and you could say this on any project, but I wish we had more time just only because I think we could have been. We could have just taken some of the layers to just the next level you know could have gone to 11 yeah exactly (laughs) Got (laughs)
0: um so nick an aspiring designer out there looking to get into print design looking to step beyond that jukebox print or vista print Mm -hmm. you know business card template whatever they're doing looking to get into print in a bigger way um what advice would you give them where should they start what should they do first
1: yeah i think and this is you know i'm sure a lot of people say this but I think one of the biggest things, as especially as a young designer, is just be willing to learn, you know yes. um, and don't don't discount the experience uh, of those that have been in the industry longer than you have. because mm-hmm. I think um, I think a lot of the time as a young designer, it's easy to kind of approach things in a way that's like, oh, I just really want to make this look good. Um, whereas, you know, like someone a little bit more experienced will say, okay, what, what are, you know, like, what are the business needs of the client? Like, what's the client trying to communicate through this piece? Mm -hmm. Um, what's the information that needs to, you know, come to the forefront? Or if you're doing packaging, you know, like, what are the products that this is going to be shelved beside, you Mm -hmm. know, and like, how do we differentiate from the rest of the category? You know, so there's a lot of other considerations, um, that have a big impact on affecting, you know a client's business goals, mm-hmm. um, then just, oh, can we make this look good? And I think there's always a balance between, you know, pushing creatively, but also making sure that we're answering a brief.
0: Definitely. And the, and the question you need to ask yourself really is, does anti-static wrapping really enhance this project? Or right. <laughs> or does it not? Right.
1: Yeah, and and like you know, there there are those products, there are are those projects that you can kind of like push a little further than other projects. And Mm -hmm. you know, when you when you get you know when you get the vibe that you're able to push a project, I think that's when you can really, I don't know, kind of kick into high gear and like really think outside the box. Totally. Um, And I think the other piece of advice too, and I talked about this a little bit before, but for for young designers is, like I said, I think it's easy to get all of our inspiration from the insular sort of design community Mm -hmm. um, and kind of like say, Oh, this is good design because I was taught it was good design. But I think there's a lot of people out there doing really cool, you know, outside of the box things or even just, just cool stuff um, that, that aren't necessarily those big designers and to trust your intuition and trust your, trust your gut, like look into the look, like sort of into the, the subcultures that you're involved in how are they expressing themselves excited in, in an exciting way whether through design or other forms of creativity and 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 take that in and be honest with yourself and i think like developing your own creative voice is going to take more than just looking at the you know those iconic designers or those big designers that um that we all sort of look to and i think it's just like being honest with what it is that you like to do from a design perspective and what it is that you like to express through your work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously, like I said, you know, when you're working on like big established brands, you know, there are confines, but I think all of these little pieces, um, add to your creative toolkit and add to your creative thinking and, um, you know, can, can help you express things in new ways, even within the confines of a brand.
0: Yep. No, I love that. And then that all gives you little bits of, you know, even if you can't go crazy creatively, You can take some of those influences and just sprinkle a little bit in, just to really enhance an experience.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and creative thinking, like creative Mm -hmm. thinking, goes such a long way. You know, like I said, it's not just about making things look good. You know, and it's and when we're presenting work to clients and they're like, oh, you know, like what's what 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 purpose does that serve? And you say, oh, you know, it just looks good there, or you know, or whatever. Like that doesn't fly. You know, Um, what flies though is like if you have solid a solid idea that drives everything. And then everything gets connected back to that idea. And, and I, and that's what sells in creative. It's not just, it's not just like, Oh, make this look it nice. It looks good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, great point, man. Creative thinking, like what is the why?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Know
0: the why I like that. Um, I'm going to go off script a little bit here and throw you a curveball. ball. Sure. Um, if somebody's looking to get into print design, what do you think is, you know, one or two tools that they should have in their tool belt before they start getting into that start venturing into that
1: i think um, a solid a, a solid kind of perception of of structure because i think mm. when it when it comes to print work like especially when you're working on something like a book or even even you know a smaller form of that like a like a multi-page booklet or brochure or something like that um, where you have a high volume of information um, and not a ton of space to get it all in there. I think just having a good eye for structure and planning is, I think planning is like so essential when it comes to most print pieces, because, um, especially when you're, like I said, when you're doing a book that has a lot of content, or if you're working on packaging that has strange die lines, um, I think planning is, um, invaluable. Like, Get yourself a grid structure going if you're working on a multi-page thing um, and stick to that grid. That will help, you know, that will help the readers know where to find particular information. It'll make it easier for them to kind of like flip through the pages Mm -hmm. um, and it'll help you keep nice, clean design. Um, And like on, on longer form editorial stuff like this book, we literally storyboarded out the entire book, like the entire thing before we even touched design. We just piled into a boardroom and wrote and made a bunch of squares on a whiteboard for each spread and just identified where we wanted certain information um, and how to kind of like pace the story out. So like planning, I think, is huge and understanding the content, I think, is a big thing, too, um, mm-hmm. That which enables you to kind of tell the story properly.
0: So, how many Budweisers did you drink during this process? <laughs> Not
1: enough. <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
0: Yeah, drank a few after though. That's
1: for sure. Definitely.
0: <laughs> All right, Nick. I want to wrap this up here with the ask the audience question. This is something that when the episode goes up, we're going to post this to Instagram, and sure. audience is going to head there, answer this question. Hopefully, you'll check it out, respond back, whatever works for you. Yeah. Um, what is your ask the audience question?
1: I would say, um, so I think, you know, as, as designers and creatives, I think it's really easy to output, 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 you know, and especially, you know, we're always under tight deadline after tight deadline after tight deadline. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we're, we're putting out all this creative energy, but like, how do we sort of stay creatively energized? Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that would be my question is like. I think everybody sort of has a different answer to that, um, and a different sort of strategy to stay creatively energized. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that would be my question because I think it can be a challenge no matter what level you're at, it can become a challenge, you know, like, especially when you're just getting barraged with tight deadline after tight deadline and outputting, I think, yeah, it's kind of difficult to like look up and take breath and kind of like intake versus output.
0: Yeah. Man, when you're on that like deadline treadmill, like even going on holidays is anxiety riddled, right? Totally, totally. <laughs> and like, it's so
1: funny because like, whenever, when like. Whenever I'm gearing up to take some vacation, that week is always like the busiest week because I have to like hand off my projects, brief in other teams. And like, and so it definitely is like stressful (laughs) going into vacation. And halfway through
0: that week, before you go, you're like, I should just stay here. It would be so much easier to just (laughs) not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Nick, thank you so much for being my guest on the Print Design Podcast here. I love chatting about this book um, and the process that went into it. Still mind blowing it. It only took six weeks, but hey. Yeah gotta no, do we gotta do some chance. That's it. That's it. Um yeah, and thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. All right, all right. That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. So cool, right? Unbelievable that a book of this size pulled off from like idea to finished books in six weeks. Just insane, just a crazy timeline. Just a reminder to head over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, leave a rating and a review for the Print Design Podcast. Would really appreciate that. And uh, that will earn you half of an entry into the little contest to win the full set of Mohawk Maker quarterlies that we're giving away. The other half of that is to head over to Instagram and like at PrintDesign underscore Academy. Get her done. Talk to you soon. Have fun.